Disenchantment with the seeming apathy to actually do anything in this world to better it was a large part of my unanchoring from the religion, and it had done some damage to my faith as well. The second big blow to both religion and even more to the faith and the supernatural that swirls around the divine were the shots at the validity of the factuality of the Bible. I phrase it as such because the Bible is chock full of stories that involve supernatural happenings. Many of them have zero historic or scientific proof that they'd happened. Some of them, you can't really count on it. Jesus turning water to wine, for example, maybe that happened, but it'd be difficult to actually expect the ability to investigate that yourself. You'd have to rely on biblical documentation and then have a different kind of faith on the authorship and honesty of the author plus the lack of corruption as it has been translated through a language or two. But the story of God regretting making humanity, so he slaughters the world by drowning, that should have physical evidence everywhere you look, and yet there appears to be none. There is a story that God stopped the sun, or the planet, from spinning so that Joshua could win a battle. No evidence for that either, but some people think the translation should have obviously implied an eclipse of some sort. Those walls around Jericho, they were there, but their existence didn't line up with the timeline of the exodus from Egypt, so also probably weren't knocked down by God during a musical parade. Some of this, I'm not sure that it mattered to me at the time. I had a family member give me a book by Mike McHargu, also known as Science Mike, called Finding God in the Waves. In it, Mr. McHargu outlines a rocky road of Christian faith, having it, losing it, and finding a better version of it. In it, he does discuss coming to terms with the Bible doesn't really need to be factual all the way through. Truth is more important, and it can be told through mythology. The danger is treating what is unquestionably fiction as fact. For example, the Genesis account shouldn't be taken literally, and those that do have to ignore an enormous amount of scientific inquiry, trading it for impossible myth. But, if you were to try to explain the creation of the world to an illiterate Bronze Age culture, the poetry of the first few chapters of the book of Genesis would be better than what I could come up with. The book of Job? It's my favorite Old Testament book and I'm certain that none of it has happened, but it's packed with truths to learn. This gave me peace in regards to some of the dissonance I felt towards the Bible, but it also loosened my grip on the whole thing even more. Furthermore, a close family member began to read, The Bible Tells Me So, Why Defending Scripture Has Made Us Unable to Read It, by Peter Enns. In it, Mr. Enns discusses some of the same themes that I had just mentioned, such as large swaths of the Old Testament being ancient Hebrew propaganda, which helps with the paradoxes such as God commanding his chosen people to not kill, and then a few chapters later commanding them to kill every man, woman, child, and even the livestock while they're at it, in the land that he allegedly promised to them. He also discusses the damage done and the intellectual contortions that have been done by modern Christians to make the inconsistencies and outright non-truths fit together. Meanwhile, I had been reading Yuval Noah Harari's Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind. I do have to remark that if you ever want to hate humanity more than you might right now, this is the book for you. It is a catalog of the largest sins that humanity has inflicted on the world and itself. Two concepts brought up in the book weighed on me for quite a while, and I spent a solid amount of time contemplating them. 
The first is that wherever early people went, the big animals, the megafauna, would go extinct in relative short order following that migration. All of those big animals that I had guessed just didn't get on the ark, size constraints I guess, actually hadn't been killed by God's wrath, but instead by us. We ate them or we destabilized their food chain that they starved out. One of the costs of taking God out of the equation for being responsible for that good and the bad is that someone else is to blame, and most of the bad stuff that's happened on this planet seems to be our responsibility. If we were actually tasked with being stewards of this planet, we had certainly done a terrible job at it. The other item is a reminder that Homo sapiens are not the only humans to exist. Our species is around 350,000 years old, with anatomically modern humans being less than 50,000 years old in existence. However, there were a bundle of other humans that were not of our species. I'm certain that many an issue of National Geographic had informed me of this, but I can't quite tell you as to why this had not sunk in as important and valid information until I'd read this book. We've been at this for a biological blink of the eye, and we've got a terrific amount to show for it. No other animal has shown technological advances or social complexities as we have, but Homo erectus had a run of about two million years. They had some hand tools to show for it, and that's about it. Our cousins were not that different from us, but managed none of the progress that we have. In most of our time in existence, we had a similar amount of progress as them. And then, in a likely short amount of time, we got much smarter. Fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, or Prometheus bringing fire from the gods. I anticipate that this will be a great mystery that will not be solved while I draw breath. But I've spent days wondering about this. And this is one of existence's great mysteries that make me understand the origins of faiths and religions. I can't answer this, so maybe the divine uplifted the humans from animals to what we would become. But then again, humans made bread in a sourdough style for a few thousand years and had no clue what yeast was. Sometimes the bread would rise and sometimes it wouldn't, so maybe answers will come one day. A quick recap of two of the three tent poles of Christian religion that had become unsupportive for me. First, a disappointment at fellow Christians being motivated to behave in a manner that is clearly commanded of them by the Christ in the Bible, despite the intellectual twists and turns that they do to insist that the Bible is an inspired or literal word of God. Secondly, the Bible is full of demonstrably false claims or impossible to prove claims. The acceptance of obvious non-truths as truths has not done me any favors. The third was brought to me by a book by one of America's founding fathers. One of the common themes in modern Christianity is that the faith is one of a personal relationship with Jesus and or God. The Trinity is not a biblical idea, but an intellectual construct added later to help understand Jesus' divinity, and that's something that has been tricky to fit into my mind. But I'm getting away from my point. In 1776, Thomas Paine wrote, published, and distributed his pamphlet, Common Sense, which has been credited as being an enormous help at popularizing, breaking the American colonies away from England and sticking that country with the bill for the French and Indian War. Following that Declaration of Independence was the founding of a country that I had been told was founded by Christians for Christians. Now, the country is filled with people who have read the Bill of Rights, including the first line of the First Amendment, and still believe the men who penned it actually meant for everyone to be Christians. I was one of those people who believed that, 
the real fact of things is that the tyranny of theocratic ideas had left societal scars and had given birth to the Enlightenment, which had discarded the ideas that an invisible consciousness had bestowed the parasitic rich with the right to be better than everyone else and tell them what to do. The Enlightenment had filled up the atheist's gas tank, but for those, like me, who couldn't just toss away the idea that there weren't things and powers outside of the purview of our ability to see and measure, there were born the deists. Thomas Paine wrote the definitive American text on deism called The Age of Reason, and died a pariah, in a large part because people don't trust atheists, which, to a foaming-at-the-mouth Christian, a deist may as well be. I'll share with you the most regularly quoted passages from the Age of Reason, which will also shed some light on why Christians would distrust him. I believe in one God, and no more, and I hope for happiness beyond this life. I do not believe in creed professed by the Jewish Church, by the Roman Church, by the Greek Church, by the Turkish Church, by the Protestant Church, nor by any church that I know of. My own mind is my own church. All national institutions of churches, whether Jewish, Christian, or Turkish, appear to me no other than human inventions set up to terrify and enslave mankind and monopolize power and profit. Whenever we read the obscene stories, the voluptuous debaucheries, the cruel and torturous executions, the unrelenting vindictiveness with which more than half the Bible is filled, it would be more consistent that we call it the word of a demon than the word of God. It is a history of wickedness that has served to corrupt and brutalize mankind, and for my part, I sincerely detest it, as I detest everything that is cruel. I read The Age of Reason and found it intellectually pleasant and incredibly thought-provoking. I must first say that I am no deist scholar and therefore not an authority on it, but as deism, as important as it was for many of the founding fathers of the United States, it's a rare thing in this country. The basic idea of deism is that humanity, relying on its reason and ability to observe, has all the evidence that the divine is the original force responsible for generating all of creation. Beyond that, a deist can believe in the miraculous if his or her reason and observations allow for it, but frankly, I'm sure most do not, since miracles or divine intervention in our world seems to not happen. Deists reject what are defined as revealed religions. The revealed religion is in which God taps a few special people on the shoulder and lets them know some secret truth that they then must go and tell other people. And this is the third and final shaky tent pole for me. I have been told for all of my life that Christianity is a personal religion, a personal relationship between myself and Jesus Christ. I am told to study the Bible, being the Word of God, in it, I read stories of Moses, in which God appears to him as a burning bush and tells him what he must do. Much later, the Apostle Paul is struck down on a trip and learns what he needs to learn from God to stop persecuting Christians and join them. There's a fellow named Balaam who was up to something that God wasn't about, so an angel went to strike him down. But luckily, God made it so that donkeys, but not humans, can see angels and Balaam's donkey saved him, then spoke to Balaam that there is an angel right here in front of them. Then the angel revealed itself to Balaam and let him know what is up. The Bible is filled with these stories of God or God's emissaries visiting people and letting them know 
in no uncertain terms that there are things that they need to do or stop doing. So I ask, where's my burning bush? Where's yours? Why does every house on my street not have a burning bush in its lawn to tell the occupants about their day before they leave for work? If God wants to have a personal relationship with me, why is the relationship one way? I've been in churches all of my life that have instructed me to feel around in the quiet places of my mind for God's voice. The creator of the universe has such poor cellular service that he has to nudge my subconscious mind as to what I should be or should not be doing. Well, the word of God, that should be studied as proof and evidence for both God's existence and God's wants. The deist will call this hearsay. I liken it to having a close friend tell me about a girl that I should date. He tells me all about her and I say, yes, I really like what I'm hearing. I'll date her. All of my friends know her, and all of my friends claim to talk to her all the time, and they show me letters that are from her, and I send her letters. But as time goes on, why can't I meet her? Why can't she give me a ring or send a text or two? Uh, this is a catfish or a swindle of some sort. I've been bamboozled. Now, the reason on why I only refer to myself as a deist from time to time is because they're a negative lot. Thomas Paine's book, which I'll recommend to anyone, really sets the pace for American deists. Most of his book is ripping at Christianity and cuts Christians no slack, which I feel is disingenuous. Unless the whole of Christianity was far more rotten than it is today, Christians do accomplish much in the realms of charity. I am on the World Union of Deists mailing list, and it's nearly always a catalog of damaging things that the theocratic-minded in America are doing. Don't, don't get me wrong, there is value in that. Call out all of the wrongs in the world that you see. It's important. But as far as I'm concerned, if I was to count myself as a member of a religion, I want a philosophy, a faith, a club that is positive. One that works towards creating and affirming goals. The tenets of the Satanic Temple, which I'll make sure to talk about later, are affirming. And I've participated with contributions to the Satanic Temple Houston's Menstruating with Satan Drive and the Satanic Temple's Tennessee's Unholy Undies Drives. As far as I know, the World Union of Deists have no charitable arm at all. I had intended this podcast series to launch on the same day as the release of the documentary Hail Satan, but, you know, real-life things did get in the way of recording. And it, from Arkansas, is a member by the name of Mason Hargett who talked about being an atheist, which I'm close theological shave away from being. Uh, being an atheist can be boring. The best of Christians are out there making a difference and trying to make the world a better place and doing so in community. I suppose I could have joined the Freemasons or a softball team, but I just don't think that they would have been my style. The Satanic Temple, on the other hand, maybe so. Maybe so. 